Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by Evan Grant. Hello, Evan. Hello, Kevin. How are you? I'm great, Evan. Did you have a good lunch? I did have a good lunch today. I had some very good company. I got to see our old boss, Dave Smith, Uh, some fellow former colleagues and current colleagues. Uh, So that was fun. And then um, you were there. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that was a good lunch. We do this about quarterly. We we have uh, lunch with Dave Smith, the legendary sports editor of the Dallas Morning News, a Hall of Famer, if there was one, uh, who still uh, looks just like he did when he retired ooh, 20 years ago. And I've always said that Dave was like the portrait of Dorian Gray. We're all aging and taking on his ills and you know, all of his sins are invested on us. And meanwhile, Dave looks exactly the same. He, he, uh, Dave is in his 80s. We're not going to give away his exact age. Um, He's 83. He he shot his score this year on the golf course. And I believe yesterday he did allow to both of us that he had teed off at 1130 a.m. and played 18 holes. And I don't think I'd survive 18 holes at 1130 a.m. in this, in this weather. So God bless him. He'll do anything for a round of golf. So that was fun seeing Dave today. Uh, all right, so let's get to going here. Uh, David Moore is still out on vacation, so no David today. Callie Kaplan has uh, publicly stated she will not do another podcast with Evan Grant. Uh, so that that's a that's a really unfortunate there. So this is going to be has Evan's that in common with a lot of people. Yeah. So this is going to be Evan's last podcast. Uh, we've decided we'd rather have Callie than Evan. No, just kidding. All kidding. All kidding aside. Uh, but we're going to talk about uh, lots of stuff. We're going to have we're going to talk about the Rangers today, the Cowboys, and then we're going to have the all important potpourri. As one of our faithful listeners says, more potpourri. I love potpourri. I prefer to call it the poopery with the emphasis on poo. Poo. Yeah. Well, all right. You would do that. So, Evan, uh, your little Rangers uh, have uh, been all over the map. Uh, they're up, they're down, they're up, they're down. They win the first two games in Detroit and then lose the last two games when they had an opportunity to really uh, make a move here. They've let the Angels creep back in in front of them in the standings. Uh, the Angels who had fired their manager uh, and now – uh, they're in this this same position. And so in today's Dallas Morning News, you wrote about uh, the question of leadership. Uh, and you specifically spoke to Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager about those issues and, and what leadership is and how they practice that. Both of them uh, quiet guys by nature. Uh, the Rangers knew that when they signed them. They knew that they were not going to be rah-rah guys, not guys who going around calling team meetings and calling people out if they needed to, if they thought so, that was necessary. Um, Not a lot of energy either uh, from either one of them, uh, especially Seager. Um, So uh, the question I have for you is when you're paying the guys, the money these guys are making and they're not producing at the level that you pay them for, are you getting your money's worth? Yeah. I think the easy answer to that is, you don't feel like you are. Um, I think from a fan perspective, and, and as you and I have talked a little bit, you would have loved to have seen what il- what is illustrative of energy, right? More, more emotion, more um, peppiness on the field, fi- being fired up after a big play. 
And these guys are just not that guys. I mean, you're more likely to see that from Cole Calhoun. You're likely to see it from Martin Perez. These guys are big on preparation. They're big on, on being ready to play. But, yeah, I mean, I think when you look at body language, you just see two guys who are who are very businesslike. And I, I don't know if the Rangers um, – if there's a, I don't know if there's a value in that. I don't know if the Rangers put a value on that. I don't know if it if it is in any way a negative impact. But I, I think this is this is one of those cases where you know when team loses misses out on an opportunity like I feel that Tigers series really was uh, all the all the circumstances combined, and we can talk about that. And you let that get away from you, you know, it feels like somebody should stand up maybe for my own edification or for fans edification and say, we let something get away from us here. We're, we're going to be accountable for it and we're going to be better. Um, and I just don't know that these are, I, I don't know that that's the way these guys operate. Yeah. But my issue, and I, and I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago is that, you know, one game they'll play really well. They'll do everything you need them to do in a play game. And then the next game they, you know, guys are, are running into outs on the bases. They're making errors. They're uh, the bad plate appearances, bad, you know, bullpen, you know, and then the next night they'll, they'll bounce back. They're just all over the map. And it, it just feels like, uh, you know, so many times, and, and, and we know this and from all these years of covering athletics, is that coaches can only do so much. Uh, is that in the end, it's it's uh, it is up to the players, and it is up to the players around those players uh, to make sure that things happen. That in the end, players listen more to other players than they do to to coaches. You know, when Martin Perez talked about his big comeback, who, who did he talk about? Are the people that influenced him? They weren't coaches. You know, they were all players and former players, uh, and because in the players' mind, these are the guys in the trenches. Most of these guys never saw Chris Woodward play baseball. You know, he wasn't a great player anyway. Nothing against Chris Woodward. Most managers weren't. You know, if a guy was a great player, that was enough, and they didn't feel like they had to prove themselves by being a coach or manager, which is a lot of hard work. So uh, that's just what you get. And so it's incumbent upon these guys every once in a while to stick their necks out and do something. Now, I don't want these guys to be something that they're not. And Chris Woodward said that, and he's exactly right. That's just who Corey Seager is. And, and we talked about that a little bit last week. When he made that great play in the field, turning his body in midair and making a throwback, his pitcher gives him a big attaboy, and he just looks back in his cap just like he does after every play, whether it's an error or a play he's made, to see you know what's the defensive positioning for the next hitter. And I think that's just a little bit of a letdown to your teammates when you see that. You know, for one thing, Corey Seager doesn't make a lot of great defensive plays. So when he makes one, you want to see – people get a little excited about it. Uh, and, and you know, I, I know that you'll hear the, the, this debate, and you alluded to that earlier. Do you want a guy to get excited after a good play because then there was a bad play? You certainly don't want him to see him hang his head. You know, you can't have that. So you, sometimes you'll hear somebody else say, well, he's great because, boy, if he's going bad or if he's going good, you never know. He always looks the same. But, but no one ever says that about an energetic player. They don't ever say that they always look the same. They only say it about a guy whose energy level seems so low, you know, like they're preserving something. Like if I do this, I, I just won't have enough left for tomorrow. You know, if I do, if I, if I do this, if I go out of my way here, but if you look back over the history of, of the Rangers, 
Who had been the most popular players? Pudge. Rusty Pudge, Rusty and Greer, uh, and, and Nolan. Well, Nolan was because of his legend and who he was and when he came to the club. He didn't have and to because be. he punched Robin Ventura in the head. Exactly. Uh, but but Pudge, Rusty Greer, uh, and now Adolis Garcia. You know, someone to ask you who's your favorite range people, that's who they'd say. Well, what's the one thing all three of those guys had in common? A lot of energy, a lot of gusto, playing the game all out, you know, all the time. A, a, a lot of expressiveness. Um, yes. You know, I mean, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that Seeger and, and Simeon don't play the game with energy. I, I, I think that that indicates that they're they're less than um, totally invested. I just don't think that they're the kinds of guys who are very expressive outwardly. And I, I you know, there there have been some plays. We've seen Cole Calhoun make a diving play in right center field and then get up and, and you know, do a fist pump um, over a big play in the ninth inning. We see Adolis do this, you know, a lot. Uh, I think, you know, in Detroit the other night when Ezekiel Duran had a, a big game-changing triple, we saw some exuberance. And so, you know, you there's, there's this narrative. People want to see players act like they've been there before and done that. But at the same time, I think fans also want to see some level of uh, some kind of some notation that hey, this was a big moment in a game, and and I think what Chris Woodward is saying, and I think where the Rangers are coming from is, listen, if they're prepared and they're performing, then it's a big moment in the game. If if they're not, then that's where you should be concerned. Well, that's just it, you know, right? Either, okay, we, we see, we don't want you to be something you're not, but boy, you better be hitting and you better be playing defense because if you're not doing one of those two things, you you have your your grace, the grace we have for you is less than we're going to have for another guy like Adolis. You know, Adolis has got a lot of holes in his game, but, but fans still love him just because of all the energy he brings to the table. So, so that's one of the things that they have to to live with at this point. Um, uh, you know, so d- let me ask you this: in the two minutes we got left on this segment of the podcast, uh, how should John Daniels react to this? John Daniels and Chris Young should they make any kind of uh, look at something that would help for the rest of this season and, and for the next couple of seasons as far as an acquisition? Uh, listen, I think that they're going to approach the trade deadline with the idea that. Um, providing the bottom doesn't fall out of this team in the next month, they're going to approach the trade deadline with the idea of let's be opportunistic. And if that results in an improved record for 22, great. But what we're looking at is 23 and 24. So you're looking for controllable but established guys. It is not lost on Chris Young that this team, as we sit here right now, is on pace for a 76-win season. And that would be a significant improvement over the last over each of the last two years. And the Rangers want to see improvement in the one loss record. So uh, I think that more likely than not, the Rangers are going to be are going to seek to be opportunistic in acquisitions. But I'll say this the same way that I said to you earlier in the year, Kevin. You know, I think Martin Perez has been a great fit here. I think in all likelihood. He probably is best here, and I don't know that you would get something on the market for him that would be commiserate with what you really feel is 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 his value, as, as particularly as a rental player. Um, but I also think you would not be doing yourself any – you'd be doing yourself a disservice if come July 1st you're, you know, 
with a losing record uh, and you've, you've continued to struggle if you don't at least listen to offers out there. Because if somebody wants to overpay, let's let's face facts. This team is still – there's still a lot of work left for this team to do. And you can't just sit here and say we're ready to – we're going to win in 2023. You've, you've got other – other issues that you've got to address the rotation obviously being one of them right now. Yeah. Lots of problems with this rotation right now. So really struggling after those first two guys, uh, too many issues, especially Dane Dunning, who I felt like is probably obviously the number three on this club right now. And that's, I think that's his ceiling as a number three on a championship club, more likely a four really struggling on the road, uh, historic proportions, uh, as, yeah. as you've reported. His team has not won a game he started on the road since uh, September of 2020. It's 20 consecutive starts. It's Ooh, it's brutal. a little bit there, – there's something concerning there about that. Yeah, a little bit. All right, that's going to do it for our Rangers segment of the podcast. We're going to move over now and talk about something that just kind of never goes away, and that's good. We like it. Uh, we like the fact that Sean Payton's name keeps coming up for the Cowboys job, uh, and, the, and the reason it came up this last time is because a report was out that the Miami Dolphins had reportedly offered Sean Payton $100 million uh, to be their head coach, uh, whether that – was a, initially that was just a five-year deal. He'd be making $20 million a year. And then it was reported that maybe it was even a four-year deal, $25 million a year. Um, and then Jerry felt compelled because of that. Jerry Jones felt compelled to come out and say, this is unfair to Sean that his name keeps getting thrown out like this, that Mike McCarthy's my guy and he's going to – we're in it to win not only a Super Bowl this year, but multiple Super Bowls and blah, 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 blah. And uh, to which anyone should say, yeah, right. If, uh, as Mark, Marcus Spears, uh, said the other day on, on his, uh, on the ESPN, if Sean Payton raises his hand and says, yes, I'd like to be coach of the Cowboys, Mike McCarthy would find all his stuff out on the front step at the star. Jerry would say, you bet I'm going after Sean Payton. But what if Sean Payton said, for $20 million a year. Well, that's an issue because I think that, you know, we know what Jerry is like about uh, spending money and he wouldn't want to spend that much money on a coach, uh, especially if he still owed money to Mike McCarthy. Um, But I do think that Jerry believes that, and I believe this, that that Sean Payton's one of the, I don't know, two or three best head coaches in the national football league. He's not, he's not a coach right now. He's going to be working for Fox this fall. And I think he just wanted to take a year off here to kind of, uh, uh, kind of just veg out a little bit, recharge, recharge himself a little bit and to get himself out of the situation in new Orleans. If he wanted to move on there, I think he did want to move on. He didn't have drew Brees anymore. And that was an ongoing, uh, question of, uh, are you going to get enough out of Jameis Winston? Should they go to another quarterback? I just think he thought, you know what? I had so much invested with me and drew, and we had such a great run, and there was a lot of work. I want to take a little time off. I think he's going to take that time off this year, and then he's going to have his pick of just about any job he wants after that. Uh, the question is, not so much for me if if Mike McCarthy can keep his job. I think the question is, can Jerry really bear to watch Sean Payton go someplace else and and have success at that place? I think that Jerry, at his age, 70, what, he's 79 now, I think. Uh, I just don't think he thinks – I don't have a lot of time left. I think Sean Payton is a 
is a winner. Guy could, who can uh, is a great play caller. Jerry is an offensive guy by nature. He cares more about offense than he does defense. Uh, and I think he would. Uh, I think that that of all the coaches Jerry ever wanted to hire, uh, outside of of course the very first one, Jimmy Johnson. I think that Sean Payton ranks number one. So again, I'll ask you if Sean Payton says yes, but it's got to be twenty million dollars a year. Does Jerry say yes or no? I think he says yes. I think that Jerry would live with it because uh, he's only got so much time left, and he thinks that uh, I'm, I'm, the, the franchise is worth six billion dollars. I'm worth six and a half billion dollars. What's twenty million dollars a year if I'm going to get the guy that I want to do this? And I will say it's just an interesting thing to watch the evolution of Jerry as far as his attitude about coaches. We all remember the famous. Uh, any one of 500 coaches could have won those two Super Bowls that Jimmy Johnson won after Jimmy left. Um, and I, I say left because I know that Jerry technically fired him. Jimmy wanted out, and so I say that Jimmy walked. Um, so after that, you know, Barry Switzer was pretty much the, the the example of that. Yeah, he won a Super Bowl, and he'd never even been a professional coach. Uh, I, I do think that, that uh, at that point, his – Jerry's point was well taken that he, he just needed somebody in here who could just steer the ship without screwing anything up. And Barry did that. Uh, we can, we can debate whether he continued to do that or not, but he, he did do that uh, in the brief period of time that he was there. But the rest of the coaches that, that uh, Jerry has hired over the years, uh, anytime he has tried to hire a coach and uh, take an unknown or take a guy who'd been in a career assistant and make him a head coach, there's no Mike Tomlin on Jerry's list of head coaches, you know, there it's, you know, the guys that he tried were Dave Campo, who was just there to soak up all the losses while they were getting their salary cap straightened out. There was Chan Gailey there. Uh, of course it was Bill Parcells. He brought in because he needed a referendum on the new stadium. And so he kind of, that was his little tip of the cap to fans and saying, Hey, look, I'm going to hire a, a famous coach here. Uh, and then he went back and then he ended up with Wade Phillips. And then, on to Jason Garrett, who everybody felt like that was going to be the guy that was going to be Tom. That was going to be Jerry's Tom Landry. Well, it didn't work out that way. Uh, and so I think then when he hired Mike McCarthy, I think Jerry's reached the point now where, okay, I, I, I'm not very good at picking out a guy and saying that this guy's going to be a great head coach. I need a guy who's won. So that's what he, that's why he hired Mike McCarthy because he didn't want a Super Bowl. And that's why I think he wants to hire Sean Payton because he's won a Super Bowl and he knows personally Sean Payton likes him. And furthermore, Sean Payton likes Jerry and he likes the idea of coaching the Cowboys. So I, I do think if someone were going to say to me right now, yes or no, will Sean Payton end up being the coach of the Dallas Cowboys? I say yes. How many, uh, I don't have the answer to this, um, but how many coaches have gone from one place where they've won to another place and won over the last 20 years? Uh, you know, you know it's, it's very rare when guys win Super Bowls at multiple places. Yes. Uh, but you, you think about the reason, why is that? Well, because if a guy's won a Super Bowl, basically he doesn't get fired from that place. That, that earns you brownie points, right? And if you've won a Super Bowl and things start to go bad, well, then you tend to retire. Uh, and, and say that, that was enough. I've won my Super Bowl, and I, I don't need to go somewhere else and prove that. So it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy once you won it all that you, you're not going to move to other places and win uh, championships unless you just stick around for a long time. Um, but 
I, I don't, uh, I, I do, I do think that, that this is the way that Jerry should go. I, you know, if you're the Dallas Cowboys, do you really need to be hiring guys on a make good deal? You know, let's just see how this young guy works out. Uh, I, I don't think you need to be, if you're the Dallas Cowboys, I don't know fans. I get this from fans all the time to say, who'd want to work with Jerry Jones. I'll tell you who pretty much everybody would work for Jerry Jones. There are very few coaches who've ever said, I would never work for that guy. Even Bill Parcells, who wrote about Jerry and wrote nasty things about him in his book, he ended up working for Jerry. And after after the fact, he said, you know what? It wasn't all that bad. I didn't mind it. I didn't find him to be that offensive whatsoever. So fans have kind of a uh, – they don't have there, – there are things that people don't like. Like we hear all the time from Troy Aikman, right, about, oh, the, this this organization and then the screw-ups of it and all that kind of stuff. And But but Troy would give anything to be the general manager of the – of the Dallas Cowboys. He'd love to be that, you know, because, because more than anything, it's the brand. It is the doubt. It is the New York Yankees of the NFL. Uh, and, and that means a lot to a lot of players and to a lot of coaches to say that they played or coach for the Dallas Cowboys. The New York Yankees though, are the last couple of managers the New York Yankees have had are first time managers as well. I, I just don't think that you have quite the same, I, I don't think the recycle bin is quite as large as it once was in the no, it's, community. No, it's not. The, the good old boy network is over. But we're also seeing the end of the good old boys. Right. You know, just like in baseball, we're seeing that, right? Who are the managers that gotten fired? Uh, you know, Joe Madden. Joe uh, Girardi. Joe Girardi. Tony LaRoots is about to get fired. You know, these are all the, the old boys. And, but, and, and, and frankly, I, I don't put Girardi in the class of, of LaRoose or Joe Madden, but uh, – these were great managers. These were guys that were Hall of Fame managers. Or yeah, I mean, at least had the reputation of being great managers. And the same yeah. thing, yeah, the same this, the same thing. I just think it, it applies in in the NFL right now. Is you're as liable to hit pay dirt with a good young first time coach as you are recycling somebody. So and, and there's yeah, there's some truth to that. I believe Mike that. Tomlin. Wouldn't a head coach anywhere, right? Sean McVay no. wouldn't a head coach anywhere. But Jerry's um, never done that, and that's the, that's the thing. Jerry's still in charge of the Cowboys. He's never done it. He's never what? hired a head coach, except for Jimmy. Jimmy was. I mean, he hit it on his very first guy, and he's never done it since. Okay, so two two things, right? Let, let's say Sean Payton comes available or decides he's ready to coach this year uh, after this season. A, what does Steven say? And B, how much does Jerry actually listen to Steven on something like that? Oh, he listens to Steven. Uh, Jerry, see, the thing that people don't understand about Jerry is he listens to a lot of people. Jerry's problem is, is that who was the last person to talk to him? But how yeah. much How much but, would Steven's voice carry in any Oh, I think it carries a lot. I think Do you he, think Steven would be okay with $20 million on a head coach? I think that Steven would be the one telling him not to spend that much money. No question about that. I, I, I think that, that, that Steven's always the money guy. You know, he, he he's the guy – you know, is in charge of the checkbook. So he, he doesn't like the idea of all that. But I think that in the end, I think Stephen would be excited about Sean Payton, and he ought to be excited about him. Sean Payton's a great coach because when we talk about this good old boy network thing, it doesn't apply in Sean Payton's case because he's also the offensive coordinator, you know, and, and he is a genius of an offensive coordinator uh, and, 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 and also the handling of quarterbacks, you know. He is he is one of the very best in the NFL. So it's not just a case of a of a walk around head coach who's not doing anything else. You know that's not who he is. And frankly, because that's 
because Mike McCarthy is not that genius. Mike McCarthy is a walk around head coach. He kind of, you know, he kind of has something to do with the offense, but he's really just kind of a guy. There's, there's been people questioning, Hey, what does this guy do anyway? Yeah, it's not good when people ask that question. No, hey, what's not. this guy do around here anyway? <laughs> Who is he anyway? Who is that big guy with the beard? Um, so uh, that's going to do it for our Cowboys segment of the podcast. Now we're moving on to the old potpourri. Uh, and in this section, we're going to talk about a number of things, starting with the fact that we have two big things going on this week. One, the Dallas Stars finally just hired a, another head coach, Pete DeBoer, uh, who was – recently fired by the, the Vegas Golden Knights, um, who has a, a record of doing really well in his first year uh, in a, a new organization. And then, it, and then it doesn't go so well after that. Uh, in, his, in his previous stop in Vegas, uh, the general manager there used the term fatigue, which was interesting to me. When you haven't been the head coach there that long, he was, he was just the head coach there parts of three seasons. Uh, so that, how much fatigue should there really be? And that's all you effect, Kevin. It, it's the pendulum effect, right? This guy's clearly going to press and he's, he's going to be intense and that tends to wear guys out. And, you know, I mean, I, the hockey shelf life for coaches is still relatively shorter, I think, than, than most of the other professional sports. No question. Um, um and this was a team that I think everybody felt like could have gone deeper into the playoffs uh, and didn't. And so it needs that little extra push. And if Peter DeBoer can get that out of them in 2022, 2023 and get them back over the hump, then that's what, that's what matters. And then after that, the stars will deal with, whatever the the next recycling of a coach yeah i, I agree with that there's not much uh, in this league and, and that to that point specifically jim nell is now hiring his fifth head coach uh, as uh, G- gm of the stars how many how many chances do you get uh five is a lot uh, over a relatively short amount of time john daniels has hired three managers with the rangers and and let one go that he inherited so yeah i mean uh, uh, and that's GM, over twenty years. Yeah, I mean, GMs in this in this market have had, including the Cowboys GM. Yeah, he's got a lot had, of them. Have had the opportunity to do a lot of hiring and firing. Yeah, they do. GMs get this is where you want to come. If you want to be a GM, you want to come to Dallas and work. Pretty much, especially I mean, if you can own the team. Yeah, if you can own the team, most, the most valuable franchise in sports. All right, that's. Uh, I, I do think the, the the stars they need to score more, and I think this is what maybe DeBoer can do. There's also a question about how well he gets along with his uh, goalies. Uh, that's not a good sign for Jake Ottinger, but I do think it's a possibility that was just a personality clash that he had in his previous stop, where he didn't go along with both of his goalies. Uh, we'll, we'll see what he does. We'll, we'll, we'll try to keep an open mind about all that. So the Mavericks made a, a deal last week in which they acquired Christian Wood from the Houston Rockets for their first round pick and the end of their hard party and bench. Uh, I think that was a, a good a good deal for the Mavericks. It's kind of a no-brainer. Uh, they're getting a guy who can, uh, who can shoot from the three. Uh, he's athletic. Uh, he's not a big guy. He's not a He's a, he's a pretty good rebounder. Um, he is not a good defender. So they're they're not getting anything on that front, and that is important because they need somebody to stop the parade going down the paint. 
but if the guy was a two-way player, you couldn't afford him. It would have cost him a lot more than a first-round draft pick and a few bench players to acquire him. I look. I mean, I let's. Let, I think you told me a little while uh, ago that Christian Wood was a name you would always remember. So um, <laughs> yes. I know you've been big. There is nothing that would keep me from forgetting that name on on him. I I you know I'll just say it this way: the fan in me, yeah, is sad to see Bobin go. <laughs> I don't know any other way to say it. I don't know what Bobin added to the team on the floor. He was a great teammate, and he added to my enjoyment of watching the Dallas Mavericks. So, Bobby, I'm sorry to see him go, and I, you know, I wanted to do a meet meet the press with him. Um, yeah, Bobby, he's great. Uh, well, listen, I wouldn't rule out the possibility that the that the Rockets cut him and they and the Mavericks resign him because he is a favorite of uh, Luka Doncic, and so. Anybody who's a favorite of Luka Doncic needs to be someone who is a uh, – Luka's enforcer, for crying out loud. Kind of, yeah. Kinda, he's mostly just there for comic relief. Uh, but he's, re- he's really good at that. He's That's the, a good he's, thing. He's the best. Did you see video that the day before he was traded, he was at the Mavs kids camp, and all these little kids were taking jumpers, and he was just swatting them all away. Yeah, he's really very that's, – that's, that's the thing that people don't know about him. He's really vicious. He's a, he's he's a very vicious person. He, People think he's a nice guy. He's really not. He Terrible. was just having so much fun, just swatting their little tiny jump shots, <laughs> taking them right out of the kids' hands. It was almost like the Peyton Manning SNL episode where he did the United Way commercial, where he was firing footballs into the backs of little children. <laughs> Yeah, that was a classic. I there was I, I will never forget the uh, Bobin Eats segment that the Mavericks did a great moment in social media promotion when they took him to the state fair and just had him eat all the crap at the state fair. Just these hey, are the hey. kinds of things that make me a fan of a guy. I don't know that's, any other way to say it. That's not crap. I eat that stuff every year. That's not crap. That's that's fine diet. How many heart procedures have you had now? <laughs> I don't know. Six or seven. Okay, I lose track. All right, uh, moving on from that. That was a good deal for the Mavericks, but they they will not uh, be, uh, they will not have a pick in this draft. Which you know, if you go back over this century, which I have, that now makes them four for twenty two for the century and getting something out of the first round. How have That's, they done in the in those four though? Well, in those four, if you count because they did not actually pick Luka Doncic, they they picked Trey. Correct. Young. And but they got him out of the first. Round. But they got him. They got Josh Howard in the draft. When they got, what was Dirk ninety eight or ninety nine? Was he not 99. in? 2000? He was yeah. not in this century. So it's Josh Howard, Jalen Brunson, Luka Doncic, and my fourth is uh, I'm I'm forgetting who my fourth was, but it was four for twenty two. wasn't It's not a good record. Uh, they didn't take the draft seriously. They still don't take it seriously. They're at some point they're going to need to. And I'm going to write a column about this. They don't soon. take the draft seriously, but 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 they've also done a better job. I would I would venture to say they've done a better job in Europe than any other team in the NBA. Well, there's no question about that. I mean, look, whatever you think about Donnie Nelson, and a lot of people didn't like him. A lot of fans didn't like him. He was the guy behind uh, Dirk Nowitzki, Steve Nash, and Luka Doncic, and he wanted to be the guy behind Giannis Antetokounmpo. And nobody else believed in him either. So that's four guys. That's four Hall of Famers right there. Uh, if you if you're drafting or signing or behind the push of four Hall of Famers, 
then you're a Hall of Famer in my book. So it's hard to do. Uh, all right, let's move on. We're going to cram a couple of extra things in here real quick. Uh, the U.S. Open, Wills Alatoris. I thought that that putt on 18 was going in. Six feet from the hole, I thought that ball is going in. It's going to be a playoff for Will. No, didn't. I happen. thought it never had a chance. I really didn't. I, I, I thought it was. It started left and it wasn't going to come back. Well, it, it was a it was going to be a tough putt to begin with, and his, that's not his strength. He's a he's a tee to green guy. Uh, nobody I, and nobody. I'm not suggesting that will that will choked it or anything like oh, that. It was no, a difficult no. putt. I just felt like that putt was heading heading left, and I actually was a little bit surprised at how close it ended up to the cup. Yeah, it was very close. Scotty Scheffler was also in the mix, so we, we're seeing now the value of having three guys from Dallas. Scotty Scheffler, Will Zalatoris, and, of course, Jordan Spieth in the running almost any week, and sometimes two of those guys in the running uh, to win a tournament. It's a very exciting time in uh, Dallas golf. I would venture that not since the days of Hogan and Nelson have you seen as much local excitement about a guy from this area with a legitimate chance to win every week. I still I like the thing that I still have a hard time comprehending, right? Is if the Rangers play well, you know, that that translates into excitement at the stadium. You see that on the field. Same thing yeah. with the Mavericks. Um and to some extent, you know, with with team uniforms. This being an individual sport, I don't know how the same excitement plays out because we're not going to see unless they come and play an exhibition match or unless they play, you know, in the Nelson next year when they hopefully both do, just how much excitement it actually generates amongst amongst people. It's, it, look, it's golf. People aren't out there throwing things <laughs> at, the, at the golfers, okay? people. I, actually, you, I saw some video about, of people throwing some things well, this weekend. If you're talking about golf, we're, we're, excitement is a very, you know, it's, it's not like going to a, a, a soccer match in Italy, okay? It's, it's a little different, uh, but there is excitement. Local golf likes the fact that there are Dallas golfers who can win a tournament any given week. Local golf, should, local golf fans should. I just, like I said, I just don't know how you, how, how that translates into a tangible excitement factor. Okay. That, well, we don't care if you don't get it. So we'll just move on from there. Uh, and then uh, what was the last thing we were going to talk about? We, well, we, we did, we needed to mention that there was another defection to the live tour, the 54, the LIV. Yeah. Whatever we want to call it. Brooks Kepka. Golf tour. Yeah. Uh, Brooks Kepka. Kepka. Yeah. I mean, that was, and that's pretty predictable too. You know, really everybody who's gone over is really not a surprise. These were guys who were kind of iconoclast guys who were a little bit divisive, uh, people were really uh, either you really liked them or you really hated them. One of the two. Uh, I, the way that the PGA Tour was announced today that uh, they're they're studying the idea of increasing purses, adding three tournaments uh, in Europe, in which and in those tournaments they might be no cut tournaments and with purses as large as twenty five million, which is what the LIV Tour is playing under right now. So I think we're seeing the the PGA Tour fighting back. The, the tour needs to fight back. If the goal was to get more money out of the tour and uh, and to, and to make the and the schedule, which was always kind of crazy, you know, the, the, it was like when did these guys ever have any off time? There's never any off season. So now they've already talked about making it to be a calendar year. It's not wrapping around from one year to the next. Uh, these are all good things and and good for the golfers. They don't have a union. So if if nothing else, if LIV golf provides for them some leverage to get what they want out of the PGA tour. Well, then good for them. 
I just, I, I don't, honestly, I don't care what tour guys are on. I mean, I, I don't really like the whole idea of we went through this last week. Saudi family regime money, funding golfers. Um, I, I, I'm not crazy about that, but what I want to make sure of is that on the major events that you don't lose the drama that we saw on 18 this weekend, that you don't, you don't lose any of that. And I wonder if you do fracture these things into two different tours and not as many people are, or if if people are making a binary choice that either I'm a PGA guy or I'm an LIB guy, if when it comes time to play the masters or the U S open or the British open, regardless of whether or not the PGA can enforce, can, uh, muscle up and, and get the USGA and some of these other major tournaments to, to ban these guys. I just wonder how much of the same drama, name recognition, all of that will will be in place. And so uh, I, I think it's important for the PGA Tour to take some steps right now to try and, and, and push back against LIV, live, live. Live, love. Uh, it's not the live tour. We know that. Um, yeah, I, I think the big thing is, uh, to remember that even, the, even though they've had defections, they still only got eight of the top 50 players, eight of 50, that's 42 to eight. Yeah. That's not a good percentage. I know I, I keep reading this. Oh, look at this. And then the damage that's being done here. It's 42 you, to eight. If you get one a week, you know, by the end of the year, you've got half of the, the top 50, you know? Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll see if that happens. I think that the, the PGA tour had to do something and that, and it is doing that now. I think if it does enough that these guys will be able to say, all right, that's, that's enough for me. And because I, I don't want to have to weather the PR backlash of this, whether it bothers me or not, who's paying me. I don't want to have to put up with all of that. Everybody call me a bad guy. The possibility my sponsors are going to yank their sponsorship from me. Uh, there's, there's no need to go through all of that if the PGA Tour is going to make this available to me. Correct. Now, we haven't even mentioned, and we just should mention it in passing, uh, and more than passing, but it'll have to be passing today. Very good on Dallas for getting uh, named one of the host cities for the World Cup in 26. Um, I You were around in 94. Did you cover any games in 94? Yeah, and it was not the highlight of my career, I got to tell you. Did uh, you, you covered games at the Cotton Bowl? Yeah, uh, it was not, you know, it was one, when I say that I highlight, I mean that people weren't learning a lot about soccer by reading my stuff, uh, you know. Uh, there's you know, good questions that should be raised about, you know, yes, yeah, it's exciting and all that. Well, well Chicago pulled out uh, of it and they decided, no, you know, uh, here's the deal. Uh, the World Cup, they, they make all the, you know, people who put this on make all the money the the, the the cities themselves end up not making nearly as much as we think they're going to make uh, jerry will so, make some money off of this trust jerry me. will make some money yeah for sure trust jerry me. always makes jerry all doesn't I do re- anything that doesn't make money all i remember about the 94 world cup is my friend javier mota who worked for el nuevo herald the spanish version of the miami herald uh and covered the marlins at that point in time and was an absolute madman covered 162 games in 1993 in 94 they pulled him off to send him to the World Cup. He came to Dallas, and he told me when he got back from the World Cup that it was so hot at the Cotton Bowl that he had stripped <laughs> down to his boxer shorts to cover the game. <laughs> so I'm sure everybody will be happier in 26 when there's no sports writers walking around with 
boxer shorts and nothing else. God only knows if there will be sports writers left in 26, but none of them will be sporting just boxer shorts. Okay, two things. One, I am going if I'm covering it in 26, if I'm still alive in 26, I'm going to do it in my boxers. Two, you have not covered 162 games total over the last five years. I have, but not but in total. And I will also say that Moda brought me back a T-shirt from the from the World Cup for Greece because I had decided that Greece was going to be my team that year. And the T-shirt had a Greek flag on it, and it said Greece '94 World Cup, great minds, better soccer players. Yeah, there is a. That was like a reference to you know. Aristotle and Socrates and some of those fellas. Yeah, I get it. All right, that's going to do it for our podcast this week. So uh, make sure you tune in next week. Uh, David Moore will be back then, and we'll have more to talk about, and we'll see what the Mavericks didn't do in the draft. Uh, And that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody.